Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Facebook. Today is Monday, December 21st. TSA screenings are up, Tesla stock is down, and we're focused on the new economics of professional basketball. The NBA season kicks off tomorrow night, a scant three months after the LA Lakers held up the championship trophy in the Orlando bubble. But it's going to look a little different. For starters, that bubble is gone. Teams instead will play in their home arenas. Well, except for the Toronto Raptors, who will be playing in Tampa, Florida, because the Canadian government doesn't want Americans flying in and out of their country. Most of those arenas won't have any fans, at least at the outset. Some will have a limited number of fans, like the Utah Jazz, who plan to allow 1,500 fans in the lower bowl of their arena. The goal is to play 72 games, 10 fewer than usual, although the second half of the schedule hasn't yet been released so that the league can adjust if COVID outbreaks cause cancellations. Why it matters is that the NBA will become the first major U.S. sports league to play a second season in the midst of the pandemic, and there are questions about how long The economics can work if fans remain home on the couch. Yes, it's a league full of billionaire owners and millionaire players, and there are still big TV contracts. But at some point, the loss of all that ticket revenue, not to mention all the food and parking and all the rest of it, well, the gravy train can run out of fuel. So in 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Milwaukee Bucks owner Mark Lazary, who just made news of his own by re-signing the league's two-time MVP. But first, this. We're joined now by Milwaukee Bucks co-owner and hedge fund manager, Mark Lazary. So, Mark, let's start with your big news, which was last week re-signing Giannis to this massive contract. From your perspective, does it say anything bigger picture on small market or smaller market NBA teams? Or is it really a reflection that that so-called Supermax contract works as intended, which is to help teams hold on to star players by letting them pay more than anyone else can? Oh, God, it's a great question. Um... I think there's a lot of variables. So I think it was positive all around, obviously, for everybody. But I think each situation is going to be different. The purpose of the Supermax ends up being to be able to pay someone a lot more money than anybody else does, right? So for us, it was like an extra $60 million plus that we could pay. And that has an impact, right? It really does. I think that's number one. I think number two for players, They've got to feel comfortable. You know, they want to stay where they are, right? So I think if they have confidence that you're going to do everything you can to win, I think all the other factors then play a big part. You mentioned the money that you guys could spend extra. Did it give you any heartburn knowing that you're about to go into a season where just guaranteed your revenue is going to be a lot less than what you would have ever expected your revenue to be? You're going to start a season without any fans in the seats. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's hard, but it's the same for everybody. So, you know, when you look at something like this, the reason you're doing it is you're doing it over the course of the next five years, right? So you're saying, I think everything's going to be fine. And when things get fine, I want to have the best player in the league. When you look at this season and you kind of try to figure out, you know, what you're going to be able to make, what you're not going to be able to make, is kind of break even the best case scenario? For you this year, I I spoke to Ryan Smith, who just bought the Utah Jazz, and and that was his feeling was he doesn't think they can break even this year. But if they can, that means they're doing a great job as a business. Yeah, I don't think you're breaking even. I don't you know, the question is, how much do you lose? And 
that's really going to be, you got to remember fans are 30 to 40% of your revenue. You can't make that up. I mean, there's no, no way you're going to make that up. The real question is, when are we allowed to start having people back in? That's number one. And then number two is when will people start coming back in, right? So I think your best case scenario is that you lose 10 or 20%, right? Your worst case scenario is you lose more than that where there's no fans the whole season. When you kind of try to game these things out, let's uh, hypothesize that the Bucks are in the finals next summer. If that happens and there's a game in Milwaukee, do you expect that you would have a sold out filled arena in that game? Yeah, I think by then, absolutely. When you look back at what the league did in the bubble, what lessons, positive or negative, get taken into this season now that you guys are back in your home markets? I think you learned a lot. Um, what you learned is if you do create a bubble, you can control things. So that's the good news. The bad news is you need to create a bubble. Right? And, and ultimately, I think what people found is, yes, they were happy to do it for that moment in time. But I don't think going forward, people want to create or just play in a bubble. I think they want to be with their families. So I think what we're going to try to do is you'll try to create as much of a bubble as you can for your players, but you still got to travel. You're still going to have to do things, but you're going to try to do everything you can to minimize risk. But at the end of the day, you still got risk. Does that mean you've learned maybe as much when it comes to this from what's happened with Major League Baseball or the NFL as you did from your own bubble since they've obviously been playing while traveling? Yeah, and look, and we talk to them all the time. Our folks at the NBA talk to the folks at the NFL and Major League is you're trying to see where, how people caught it and what you can do. So you have these strict protocols. Look, ultimately, at the end of the day, people have to follow them, right? And you find that the reason that the NFL had issues is people were not following protocols. If you follow it, things should be fine, but it's still going to be hard. Mark, you know, when you talked about the best and worst case scenarios from a financial standpoint for the league, given that the best case scenario is still losing money, do you think that accelerates the possibility of new expansion, whether that be Seattle or Vegas or somewhere else? No, not right now. I think everybody will sit down and figure this out at the end of this season, right? Because then you'll see where things are. I don't think you want to make any judgments um, while you're in the middle of a pandemic. I think back to when you guys bought this team for $550 million. I assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, that some of your friends told me you were out of your mind for spending that much money for the Milwaukee Bucks. I assume if you put them on the block tomorrow, they would go for significantly more. Do you think the revenue declines because of the pandemic have de-escalated valuations at all? I don't think so. I think it may have slowed a little, um, but I think it's still... You know, an NBA team, uh, there's only 30 of them, right? I mean, same thing as Premier League. What you're finding, and I think one of the things we learned through the pandemic, is people actually want live sports. It's not something you're going to record. So I think you're going to find that the need for live sports is going to continue. And hopefully the need for somebody like the NBA is also going to continue. When I tune in and watch a Milwaukee Bucks game in Milwaukee, what is it going to look like? We had the bubble. You had those digital screens with, you know, fans everywhere. What am I going to see? Am I going to see an empty arena? Are you guys going to have cardboard cutouts of people? What's it going to look like? Um, we're going to try to just have cardboard cutouts of you. I like it. Right? I mean, just who wouldn't want to see you? Well, I'm wearing a Celtics hat as we do this. So are you going to let me wear my Celtics hat in those cardboard cutouts? No, we're not. Uh, <laughs> um, I think it's going to be an empty arena in the beginning. And I think you'll have fan noise and things like that. but. I think as time goes on, 
you know, whether we have 500 fans, 1,000, 2,000, it'll start increasing. And I think you'll start seeing that across the NBA. Mark Lazary, who's Milwaukee Bucks kick off on Wednesday night in Boston against the Celtics. And I won't be there because, you know, I can't buy a ticket because we don't have fans. I'll be there. You'll be there. Uh, Mark, thank you very much for joining. Thank you. Take care. Have a good one. Welcome back. What we're watching today is the economic stimulus, which finally appears to be on the precipice of passage, likely before Congress goes to bed tonight. New loans for small businesses, direct checks of $600, enhanced unemployment benefits, airline bailouts, and more. But as of the time we're taping this, there isn't actually any legislative text available to read, even though this is a $900 billion spending package and expected to be one of the longest bills ever considered. What that means is that lots of our elected representatives will find out what's actually in the stimulus after they vote on it, which is a fairly fitting way for this Congress to finish up 2020. We're also watching Tesla, which today joined the S&P 500 and then dragged the index down. What basically happened was that lots of funds bought Tesla stock on Friday, right ahead of its addition in the closing minutes of trading, driving the price up. Now it's returning a bit to its level, down around 5%, and because Tesla is 1.5% of the overall S&P 500, it can make a dent. And finally today, we are reading the story in Elle magazine about Christy Smythe, a former Bloomberg reporter who effectively gave up her career and her marriage for infamous pharma bro Martin Scarelli after falling for him while covering the trial. Nothing I can say here really does this bonkers article justice, so just go to L.com and take a read. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. It's my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven. Have a great national crossword puzzle day, and we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.